Hello, everyone. <laughs> I am Marikita Elise, and it looks like I'm trying to get our broadcast to Facebook, and we're not getting there. I don't know what's going on. We're, you never know what's going to happen with these technical issues, but if you're watching on YouTube, I hope you are watching us. So um, I'm excited to be here. Welcome to this We Did It Not Health broadcast. And so at We Did It Not Health, we are working to create a healthy, happy, vegan, and plant-based world. We're doing that through building community and offering resources such as today's discussions to help you create relationships where you'll plant seeds of hopeful curiosity in others when they ask about a vegan or plant-based lifestyle. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel or favorite workshop presentation. So we also invite you to join our Facebook community so you can connect with others and find support and encouragement with like-minded members. So my name is Marikita Marikita Solis, and I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Lucky Mopura today to today's program. So welcome, Dr. Lucky. I'm very excited that you're here. And everyone that's watching, I see JJ's here. Thanks for watching us, and I hope everyone can find us. And I'm sorry about any kind of confusion you're having um, with this darn Facebook. You never know. But nevertheless, we're still, the show will go on. <laughs> so welcome, Dr. Lucky. And where are you joining us from, Dr. Lucky? I'm, I'm currently in Miami, Florida, so it's actually raining cats and dogs here. But um, it's always a beautiful day down here, and it keeps me constantly inspired to talk more about plants just because I get the sunlight 24-7. Super. Wonderful. Well, so tell us about your journey. How did how did this even start? Did you are, Were you born to plant-based eaters? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a topic that always has a fair amount of interest, I think, among all of us, is that many of us never really started on this journey. It was one that was either shown to us or, you know, was introduced to us by a friend, uh, a loved one, or, or someone else that has a prominent role in our life. And for me personally, my, my girlfriend at the time had actually discussed going plant-based. And, you know, at the time I was an undergrad at the University of Michigan. I was actually minoring in nutrition. So I thought at the time, there's no way she has any idea what she's talking about. And so from that moment onwards, I said, listen, you're an academic. I'm an academic. Let's let's talk. Let's talk about why, you know, I'm right and why you might be wrong. And so, you know, I spent all this time. I went on the Internet. You know, I was I was looking up all these research studies, trying to find evidence to really support what I was saying and what I was saying about nutrition and, and the importance of having an omnivorous diet. And I'll tell you, Marquita, over and over, I realized very quickly that what it was that I was saying was not, in fact, rooted in truth. And many of my assumptions, both about you know animal agriculture and also about the necessity of meat and dairy, um, was was unfounded. And so, from that period onwards, that was about five and a half, six years ago now. From that period onwards, I really started to try and implement plant-based nutrition in my diet. It's not easy for everybody. I mean, I grew up eating Frosted Flakes, ribs. You know, Detroit is where I'm from, and it's a city known for its soul food. So it was very difficult for me, I think, initially to wrap my mind around it. But once I gave it a go, you know, and really put, set my mind to it, I actually, the joke I always tell everybody is, you know, my girlfriend at the time was from Vegas, and Vegas is well known for its buffets. So I went to Vegas. I had a whole week there, and I said, I'm going to eat everything I possibly can. That's not vegan. That was right before I went vegan. And I said that Monday, I'm going to go vegan. And, you know, her dad at the time made a bet with her younger brother. There's no way he's going to stick with it. And, you know, I had two or three buffets, all the Chick-fil-A I could think of. And, you know, by the time that Monday rolled around, I think I was ready mentally and emotionally. And I never looked back since then. I never looked back since then. And, and it kind of led me to this journey of advocacy among nutrition, uh, but more importantly, advocacy for community health and health disparities and really helped wind this whole path of mine that is uh, some degree nutrition and medical curriculum because I think it's essential to educate the next, uh, the next generation of medical providers and so that we can ensure that our patients have the best outcomes beyond just the hospital or the clinic. But the other part of it too is I think food is a very powerful tool for levying many of the health disparities we see and in many ways can be equated with racial and social justice. So it's... Uh, it's an unlikely story, but I'm sure there, there's there's plenty more out there, and and I couldn't be more happy to be where I am right now, which is talking with you and your audience. Well, thank you. Definitely, we're glad you're here. I just ran up against someone. 
oh, I was, her mother's going through some health issues. And then I said, well, plant-based nutrition really helps here. Um, and she listened a little bit. And then she said, well, it's just what we get. You know, it's just natural when we get older. And, and I didn't, I mean, what do you say to that? You know, this myth, this myth that when we get older, we're going to deteriorate and, you know, heart disease, cancer, high blood pressure, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all that is normal. And that's so sad that people believe this. You know, Marquis, I think it's a it's a great point. And, you know, my, my prayers and love go out to your family, uh, your friends, as well as any family members who may be currently suffering with chronic disease. I'll say this, you know, the medical system has made tremendous advances in 10, 20, 30, even the past 100 years. If you look back 300, 400 years ago, you know, we were cutting to injure. And now we can we can cut to heal. We can cut to excise. We can... We do all sorts of things now that are, are miracles beyond our imagination. But I think a lot of what happens with our innovation is that we sometimes don't take a step back and look at why these processes are happening. And we get so, I think, tangled up with the notion that disease is normal, like you've said, that we've normalized disease, that we have kind of foregone the conclusion that perhaps it's possible to live a life without the burden of chronic disease that American society and Western society now suffers from. And let's be real, it's not just us here in the West. Um, chronic disease is rapidly growing in the East. I mean, if you look at Japan, if you look at any part of uh, China from rural to urbanization, India is another good example, my home country that my parents are from. There is a tremendous amount of increase that we've seen uh, of, of chronic disease in ways that we can comprehend. And although we've made incredible strides from a medical standpoint, we have a long way to go when it comes to emphasizing preventive medicine. And to your question, what do we do when sometimes people just shrug their shoulders? You know, we do what we always can do, which is be here and ensure that the information is out there. I think many a times there is a significant portion of people who have never received interventional nutritional training at any point um, in their medical careers. And there's a significant portion of patients who have never received minor counseling. And there are studies dating back to the past three or four years that have found even a minor amount of counseling, even even suggesting the, the importance of dietary change can have tremendous impacts on what it is that the people being counseled eat. And I think time and time again, I a strong believer that if you provide the information, you can allow people to come to their own conclusions. Obviously, you can't you can't force a, a horse to drink water. I guess my dog, when he was a puppy after after a long day in the sun, I can't force him to drink water either. You know, I think there's oftentimes a misnomer that, you know, people will just accept the information provided. Um, you know, there's food is love, food is complicated. Um, it is a intertwined part of our lives, but we do everything we can now to at least let people know that there is a possibility to live life without disease. There is a possibility to live life without all the medications and all the inevitable surgery that many of us have seen our family members, both elder and friends go through. Yes, you're right. And I spoke with someone the other day and I was telling him about plant-based nutrition or the about eating a whole food plant-based diet and he was talking about eating meat and he said well my dad's a doctor mm. <laughs> and so this is what we're talking about right. getting this information out right. so what, and, what's happening what's changing now yeah you know i i think first uh, before i jump into it i i want to address that that's something that i've thought of quite a bit you know is uh there's a number of colleagues i have who may not necessarily appreciate just how deep the evidence is that exists and, and how broad it all is. A lot of times people will point to specific studies. We'll see that a lot in media. Oh, this just in saturated fat is healthy. This just in butter is an important part of your diet. Well, in science, the really important thing we have to look at is the aggregate. We have to look at what does the totality of the evidence show us? What, what, what can we glean from the totality of evidence available? And Research over the past few decades and even further has consistently found that those on plant-based dietary patterns and those who incorporate more plants into their diet tend to do much better. And we've seen it in a stepwise fashion. And I mean by that is the more plants that someone eats, more fruits and veggies, grains, legumes, beans, all you name it, you know, the more that those people uh, are able to incorporate into their diets, the better off they tend to be. Um, it's not a zero-sum game. And, you know, I think even able to encourage a friend or a family member to have a little more fruits and veggies in their daily diet can go a long way. Um, I really do believe in that. But when we talk about what is the kind of education medical providers are receiving, unfortunately, much like we talked about earlier, 
having a system that focuses so heavily on diseases, sometimes we might not focus on the preventative aspects of medicine. Um, and that, that, that goes across the board. I mean, from the best medical school to the newest medical school, you know, I think oftentimes there is a disparity that exists in what education people are being provided. So during my time, and obviously we'll get into it more, I'm sure you have a, a bevy of questions, but during my time in medical school over at Wayne State University in Detroit, we developed and implemented the first ever plant-based medical curriculum in the country for all 300 first-year medical students. That means it's not a class that you opted into. It, all 300 first-year medical students had about a month of exposure to plant-based nutrition um, and, a, and a host of other aspects of plant-based nutrition, which we can get into in a bit. But your average provider receives less than 40 hours of nutritional education. Much of that isn't clinically relevant. And that can be problematic at times because that means we could be advising our patients incorrectly. It means that people might not be getting the best advice they can. And let's be real, there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of it's done so, un it's done so intentionally. And it's difficult for us to separate our own feelings about food and our own feelings about culture and family from, from recognizing that a lot of what we do now is just a habit and not necessarily a good practice. Yeah, you're right. And it is a habit. We, we were brought up to eat meat and we're brought up to think that we need milk for strong bones. And and then it's and then it, who do we believe? And you're right, right. There's so much information out there that's confusing. And someone will bring up a study and say, look, this proves it. Right. And and so it's very hard to go up against this. Right. This right. Uh, narrative that we've been taught. You're, you're so what's entirely. changing? Well, you know, I'll be honest, I think what's changing is my generation hopefully is becoming a little more aware that we can do more than beyond just disease management. We can do more in health equity. We can do more in prevention. We can do more in levying some of these health disparities so that we can improve people's lives beyond that of the clinic and hospital. I alluded to that earlier. And what do I mean? I mean that I tell a lot of the patients I see, you know, even as a medical student, you know, you're, I love seeing you, you know, you're great to have around, but I don't think you want to be here anymore that I want you to be here. And I think many of the reasons why most Americans end up uh, in the emergency room or in the hospital is because of the leading killers of Americans, heart disease and cancer being the top two of them. And much of those are lifestyle related. And I think my generation of doctors is embracing that notion a little more than perhaps prior generations. But that isn't to say that there hasn't been trailblazers. I mean, you know, I can't even count how many I know have inspired me to be where I am. Dr. Milton Mills, Dr. Clapper, Dr. Greger, Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Ornish. You know, um, there's so many um, that I know who have kind of inspired me to, to follow this path and continue pushing that it's inconceivable to think what medicine would look like if they weren't even around. And you don't have to look far. I mean, you can see some of the major health organizations are really embracing this notion. I was surprised to see that Kaiser Permanente, which is a major HMO on the West Coast, um, recommends many of its patients to follow a plant-based diet. And for those uh, who are counseling these patients to recommend a plant-based diet as well. So I think things are changing, albeit slowly and more slowly than we'd like. Um, but as long as we're on all these different fronts, beyond just nutrition and medical education, but uh, you know, nutrition in our children's schools, which is a topic I'm very passionate about and that I'm working on currently at a at a, at a state and local level, as well as a federal level. And if we look at the education our doctors are providing, if we look at, you know, the messaging that we're receiving, there is so many different fronts that we need to come at this issue. I think as long as we're there and persistent and know that the truth is on our side, which it is, you know, I think we'll continue to see change. It doesn't happen overnight. I wish it did. But I think as long as we're able to provide those, those tidbits of truth, those did you knows, those those consistent source of information, I, I think I think in the long run, we'll do much better. And more importantly, the people we're trying to help will be doing much better as well. Yeah, you're definitely right. And change doesn't come very quickly, unfortunately, but we are seeing change. So that's yeah. wonderful. And you yeah. saw it. I mean, you are <laughs> you're an example of change. I love that. And please, let, if you're watching, let us know your questions, because I mean, this is a big issue. That we're, that we're working on. I thank God we have you, Dr. Lucky, that's tackling this for us. And then, like you said, the change makers, Dr. Milton Mills, right. and you know, Dr. Clapper, and, and all these people that are really working hard. So what about, um, what about your 
your schoolmates, you know, right. your, your buddies in school, what do they think about you? And have you talked to them about this? Yeah. You know, back, back in med school, I, I think it's easy to, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, look at what they did, but it, it was a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. We had, we had about a year to make everything happen and it, and it just happened to fall into place. And I won't lie. There was a, there was a good amount of fortitude and, you know, long nights that many of us endured to make this happen, but it was well worth it. So just to give you a nutshell, you know, we started off with this group called the plant-based nutrition group, which is still around at my school and they've continued to do excellent things, but the plant-based nutrition group, really helped provide us an early initial platform for getting this going. I think if we had to develop a new organization and a, and a new program, it might have been challenging to really get as much done as we did in that one year period. But our primary goal was to really just bring in people, make people comfortable and aware of the fact that plant-based nutrition is something that medical providers believe in and that is an accepted thing to use. And more importantly, that it can have dramatic impacts on those who suffer from chronic disease. And anybody who has been a broke student, whether it's a graduate student, undergraduate student, or a high schooler, knows that you can never turn away free food. So every event was catered by a local plant-based caterer. I always made sure to emphasize um, that it was someone local who was able to provide the meals. And then it also gives students and even community members who attended our talks the opportunity to engage and really get a sense of, you know, what does community nutrition look like and who are those who are driving the change in the cities that many of these students and, and individuals call home. So that was our first basis. The real idea is we wanted to make ourselves known. And, you know, within a few months, the running joke was if the plant-based nutrition group had some Illuminati influence, if somehow we were everywhere at all at once. And I really owe that to the fact that we had engaging speakers. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm merely just picking up the torch. I mean, we had everybody you could think of come speak at the school. Dr. Clapper came, Dr. Mills came and spoke in, in, in collaboration with the Black Medical Association. We had um, Dr. Kim Williams, as well as a close friend and a mentor. We had Dr. Uh, Goldner, Dr. Esselstein. I mean, the list goes on and even local plant-based doctors. So my idea is what I really wanna see isn't that plant-based nutrition is this exciting new avenue of preventive medicine that is cost reducing and value improving. I want it to be as boring as possible. I want it to be so accepted that people don't think twice about the notion that when we talk about nutrition, a lot of times we're emphasizing plant-based and Mediterranean diets and emphasizing these plant forward diets. Um, and that's really my goal. And I think we did so successfully to the point that we were able to institute the curriculum and the curriculum itself was about a one month exercise. We had three weeks of virtual content. So we had, uh, you know, I really wanted students to understand the humanism of nutrition, why it matters, what it does for the people who are able to embark on this remarkable journey and what it does for their families. And so the first two weeks were really highlighting the stories of two local plant-based individuals, uh, Paul Chatlin and Mark Ramirez, both of who are very close friends. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard of one or two of them with Chickpea and Bean, and they have excellent organizations, the Plant-Based Nutrition Support Group. But after that, I wanted one week of a, med a virtual medical providers just to talk about what public health means to them. And it really culminated in one big half day. We had medical students, uh, all 300. This was right after an exam. So everybody was a little more relaxed and, you know, much more receptive towards the notion that there's other things out there beyond just what board curriculum teaches. And we had a half day where we had nearly 25 to 30 medical providers who utilize plant-based nutrition. This wasn't just doctors. This included one or two physical therapists. We had psychologists. Um, I'm sure we had a nurse or two. And I separated everybody into panels. So we had our plant-based stories, which are about 40 people or so who are testimonials. Um, and we had two a room. And the other room, in, in the same room, was one medical provider to corroborate what they were saying and demonstrate that there is strong medical underpinnings. And I tried to pair them up as best as I can. But the goal really wasn't to teach students everything in that moment. The goal was to demonstrate that we can plant the seed. We can allow it to grow so that when a student is seeing a patient that's a type two diabetic, who's at their end's width or close to a number of the complications associated with diabetes, they may stop and think, didn't I hear about somewhere, somebody maybe reversing their diabetes or reducing their medications or you know having a significantly better quality of life. And my hope is that they refer back to what they learned. Um, it's very difficult to rock the boat because, you know, like I said, habit, it, it applies to food, it applies to education. Habit is very easy for us to embrace and it becomes comfortable. But it's really important that if we want to encourage progress, we have to embrace the uncomfortable and recognize that there are changes that need to be made to educate our next generation. Well, that, that's wonderful, planting the seed so that 
they think maybe there's something else that I can offer my patients. Yes. Yeah. Because it might be too much for them to take on at the moment. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And that, that's what we, we all have to accept that in, in this journey of really trying to, in like Peter, um, the founder, we did, it talked about inspiring curiosity, hopeful curiosity, right? Just, just right. there's a little, little glimmer of hope. What was that? That Dr. Lucky said, maybe I can reach out to him. <laughs> right. Right. That, and that's the hope. I mean, you know, I, Obviously, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be frank. I started this many a times because I was concerned about animal cruelty. Um, that was really how I started this journey. But it really developed into a quality of life discussion, a, a larger humanistic discussion. And, you know, in my speeches I give, you know, around the country and in some of the podcasts I talk about, the, the idea that I really like focusing on is it's about having one more birthday with a loved one. It's about having a couple more years with your grandkids. It's about ensuring that the last few years aren't painful, aren't expensive, aren't, you know, in a position that may ruin the family financially. I think, you know, we oftentimes underestimate just how serious it can all be. And, you know, I say all this to say that, you know, there's a lot of benefit. There's a lot of benefit that extends beyond just how we feel, but how we're able to interact, how we're able to get around the world, how we're able to spend time with loved ones. And I think that's really where our focus should be. That's really where our focus should be because a lot of times when people fall ill, our whole objective as doctors is to make sure our patients can feel better to the best of our ability to make them feel better. And I think if you're not including nutrition in that discussion, you know, sometimes it can be a disservice to the patient. Now, obviously there are exceptions as there always are. There are people who may have conditions that may preclude them from having you know, the significant plant diet that they need to have. But for the most, for the most, uh, for the most people on this planet, uh, plant-based diet has tremendous benefit. Um, and it, you don't have to look far. We have the blue zones, obviously, to look to both here at Loma Linda in the United States and around the world. But, you know, there are a lot of examples of the more plants that you incorporate in your diet, along with a strong societal structure and strong belief system. These are, these are really important, essential components of living a good life and more importantly, finding your best self. And yes, amen to that. And I'm looking at a comment from Deb and she's saying it does get frustrating to see people we care about consuming the food that are killing them. And of course the animals, yes, it, it does. And I worry that I, I feel like so many of my friends are walking around with heart disease now. Yeah. And it, it, that, and so what is like, I mean, if you're eating animal products, when is it when does heart disease develop and when are you walking around with heart disease you know that's a that's an excellent question uh marquita deb i, I want to just say a little thing to deb deb i know how you feel um you know no you know my family has 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 to some degree shape or form kind of appreciated some of the finer aspects of plant-based nutrition but may have not gotten to the level that i'd like them to get to but i've come to realize and deb and marquita i'm sure you two as, as well have seen this you know the harder we push sometimes that makes people recoil a little that makes people not want to kind of accept the knowledge that 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 you're there and it it takes it sometimes i think at least i find solace in the notion that i'm doing everything i can be to an example to be an example to my friends and my family and you know within the jabbers and with all the jokes and you know all the things that tend to come at the expense of a vegan's uh, emotional sanity i'll say that i was one time one of, i was one of those people one time you know one time in my life i was somebody who could, had never even heard the word vegan i thought I thought it was a, I thought it was something that they made up for late night comedy, you know, and I, I never really knew that that was a possibility. And now I'm here six years later and I'd like to think that I'm doing as much as I can to bring the message of plant-based nutrition to the masses. So I think really about being consistent, spending as much time as you can improving yourself and, and finding the patience necessary to help guide others through what can be a difficult period of addiction and, and a lack of realization that dietary habits need to change. I think that's everything you can do. And as long as we're here and the message is strong and consistent, which I know it is, um, people will get on board. People will get on board because we have to. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not in a position necessarily to ignore it forever. And, you know, to your point, Marquita, I think that segues nicely. Heart disease isn't something that shows up in our 40s and 50s. I mean, when we have looked at kids that were, you know, we look at arteries and kids as young as, you know, 13, 14 years old, we see atherosclerosis. We see, we see fatty streaks, at least, the precursors of atherosclerosis within their arteries. So the real question isn't about how do we prevent heart disease? It's about how do we minimize or mitigate the heart disease that we already, most of us probably already have. And that's why diet is essential, especially in our kids, so that we can prevent this from even becoming a problem. 
You know, heart disease is something that we've developed incredible technology for all sorts of pharmaceutical medications, billions and billions of dollars have been invested. But uh, my hope is that we never have to get to there. And, you know, for a lot of our friends and family, it can be worrisome because we know just how deadly it can be and just how many lives it can impact. But as long as we're at least able to encourage someone that eating more plants is something that's beneficial and try to sneak it in here and there and demonstrate to them that, you know, it doesn't taste like rocks and grass, you know, I think that we really get to that point where people will maybe begin to appreciate, you know, this is something I could do. This is something I could do. I could try. And I tell a lot of my patients, especially the guys, because, you know, women tend to be a little more open-minded. They tend to be a little better about knowledge, especially new knowledge. But sometimes I tell a lot of the guys I talk to, whether it's, you know, in the hospital clinic or whether it's out in the community, just give it a shot. 30 days. What do you have to lose? You got nothing to lose, right? Give it a shot for 30 days and see how you feel. And I'll try to give as many of the resources I can to help. You know, obviously I can't be their, their individual provider or practitioner, um, but I try to do as much as I can to at least give them a solid 30 days to give it a shot. And most people feel better in ways that they never knew they could feel. And I think if somebody can access that feeling and understand it, it puts them in a far better position down the road to actually try it again if they if they decide to give it up because they tried it once they know they can do it maybe i'll give it two months maybe i'll give it three months and even when we talk about eating more plants the reason i push eating more plants not just going plant-based is because somebody starts at 20 percent, then they get to 30 percent, then they get to 40 percent, then 80 and then before you know it they're 99 percent, and they didn't think about it much but they got there so i think different strokes are for different people i went you know, I, I decide one day I'm going to go plant-based. You know, that was my, that was my, that's kind of how I do things. I, I decide one day I'm going to do it and I try to do it. But other people might need a little more gradual progression. And I think, you know, that's how we get at these major, major disease, uh, diseases like cancer and heart diseases, allowing people to build a better foundation and, and being there to support them when they're, when they're ready to make that switch. Yes, you're right. Being there, being there to support them. So it's so important not to burn those bridges. Of course, of course. And you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. People, people come to me all the time, you know, five years later, three years later, you know, I sometimes give out my phone number to patients and they'll text me six, seven months later. Hey, like I want to give it a shot. And I forgot, I forgot we even had that conversation. I want to give it a shot. And if I can get at least a few people to be in a better position, then I, I know I've done everything I could. And I think my biggest issue, Marquita, with where we are now is we haven't reached a point where I can confidently say that everybody is getting access to the information I think they need to be getting access to. Um, that's something I'm working on right now with, with some colleagues. And I, I know there's a number of people around the world who are working on this. But if we can get to a point that we're able to provide everybody with the foundation of what they should know when it comes to lifestyle, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to their disease status, I would feel a lot better. Because in medicine, you know, as, as providers and as physicians and surgeons, our job is to be consultants still. You know, we, we recommend a solution to a patient. We recommend a, a certain procedure. Um, it is still our patient's right to have the autonomy to decide whether or not they want to go forward with that. And I think the same thing applies for, for lifestyle counseling. But a lot of patients aren't even getting that opportunity to say yes or no because they're never receiving the information in the first place. And for me, I think that's a big, big gap that we can, we can really close by just being being able to ensure that patients have some understanding that they don't have to be with their diabetes forever, or it doesn't have to be as bad. They don't have to, you know, keep getting bypasses. They don't have to keep getting, sorry, stents. They don't have to keep getting stents. This is the problem when you do ophthalmology and eyes, I forget about the rest of the body. You don't have to keep doing stents. You don't have to keep doing, you know, all these, these procedures that there are ways to at least minimize. So it's not as bad so that you're able to walk up the stairs, you're able to get to the car, you're able to, you know, engage in the day. And I really want to empower patients with that information. Yes. Yes. I mean, to help them thrive at the best that they can. Definitely. And what about addictions? I mean, we have mental addictions to food and the physical addictions to food. How, how do you help your patients with that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, uh, Marquita. And it's one that I know, you know, that's one I know a lot of people struggle with. I mean, heck, even for me, uh, I, I still like a good plant-based cookie now and then. And I tell myself I'm not going to get one. And I, I go to the grocery store and I just see them sitting there. I'm like, ah, we could get just one. So I, 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 I empathize. I really do. But I think it's really, I think to me, what I find to be the most helpful 
from my own life, and I can't speak for everybody, is it has to get to a point where motivation and willpower aren't as big a part of the equation because it's very hard to maintain that. It's very hard to continuously have, it's, you know, I call this decision fatigue. Uh, decision fatigue is obviously used in a number of different contexts, especially when we talk about low income and disadvantaged neighborhoods who are being asked to make a number of decisions about their health and have to unfortunately pick and choose between different parts of it on what to focus on and what not to, because there are so many decisions that are accumulating that, that can lead to a significant amount of mental burden. But in, in this case, what I mean by decision fatigue is every time of the day, if you're being forced to choose, between whether I should do this or whether I should do that. You know, it, it becomes tiresome, it becomes draining. And there's an old joke that the reason that Steve Jobs, you know, had a black turtleneck every day and that's all he wore is because he didn't have to expend that much mental energy deciding what he was gonna wear that day. And I think that that should be applied to your diet. And one of the reasons I like recommending the plant-based diet is that it eliminates some of that decision. And I'm, what do I mean by that? I mean that patients don't have to count calories. They don't have to input this information to a tracker. For the most part, obviously for diabetics, there are some, there are some, you know, certain special considerations as it relates to their insulin, as it relates to, you know, some of the medications they may be on, and obviously other conditions as well. But for the most part, you don't have to be excessively neurotic about what it is you're putting in your body every day. And I'm able to recommend to patients, hey, like you should try to eat as much of this as possible and try to minimize this. And I bet you those who eat a lot of what they're supposed to, which is a lot of fruits and veggies with a lot of fiber, it'll fill them up to the point where they might not want to, you know, go and have all these, you know, fatty foods, all this extra sugar, you know, all these, you know, all these heavy products, you know, because they've already kind of filled their stomach, they've satiated it. So I think the best option for those who are struggling with this is to have someone talk it over with them, work with them and make them not feel guilty. The problem is when we default, we feel guilty feel really guilty when we don't do things the way we want to. It doesn't go the way we want to. And instead of removing that and saying, this is what I'm going to work towards. By the end of the week, I want to be eating 50% of my meals to be plant-based. Or I want to cut out all red meat. That's something that a lot of my friends have done, especially those who might not even be that plant-based. A lot of them acknowledge that red meat is something they've got to cut out, which is really important. It's a known carcinogen. It's the reason why I think we're seeing a lot more colon cancer than we might be accustomed to. And even colon cancer for those of us who are those celebrities that are more prominent. We're seeing them in people dying in their 50s uh, from colon cancer. Um, and I think what we're doing is really bringing this message home that you need to start limiting these foods. You need to start excluding these foods from your diet. And as long as people have those measurable outcomes and as they get further along, my hope is they'll get better. Obviously, there's, it's not easy. I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. I, I know I, I, I tried doing it, but and for some people, they've been doing it a lot longer than I have. It's hard to change, but it's never too late it's never too late for someone to, to make a change and, um, and see the benefits. And what about a support group? Cause you said something earlier about a support group. <clears throat> yeah, I think, you know, that market, you hit on the nose. That to me is the most important thing. I think of any major change. It's why AA is so popular, right? Um, and there's a number of support groups for all sorts of addictions. And I think food should be no exception. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about food in the context of, you know, binge eating, um, or anorexia, and those are incredibly important issues to target. But I think sometimes we, you know, might not realize that changing how we're eating from a less healthy diet to a more healthy diet can be just as challenging. It can be just as difficult for someone to make that, to make that transition. And so support groups are everything. And I mentioned the support group earlier in the context of the plant-based nutrition support group, which is, you know, a, a community-led group by, uh, created by Paul Chatlin, and now a number of community members are involved in it, and it's based in Michigan. And they've done very well for themselves. I think they've brought a significant amount of attention. But it doesn't have to be a, a huge organized group. It could be a couple of people who want to make a change with you. And a lot of times when I, when I myself host these plant-based kickstarts, you know, virtual or in person, I try to have a group. I really try to have a group because it makes it that much easier. People know where you're coming from because they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to avoid eating, you know, some of those foods they shouldn't be eating. And that makes all the difference. Having someone there with you who's going through the same process who can encourage you will make that 30 days or whatever the whatever the period of time they decide to give it a try that much easier. And so you hit it on the head. Anytime somebody wants to make a change to plant-based nutrition, I really strongly believe there should be there should be a support group in place for those individuals to be able to go to someone and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. What do you think? Like, what are some recipes you found that help for yourself? What are some tips, tricks, strategies that you might have utilized to, to get you to where you are? Yes, you're right. We need, we need each other. So okay. good advice. Of course. 
of course. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, especially with some of my colleagues who might not necessarily recognize the importance of, you know, plant-based nutrition, it's challenging. They've got so many things to manage. They have busy schedules. They have a, a huge amount of disease burden to, to encounter. And, you know, much like tobacco was, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, much like tobacco was back then, and even the 90s, tobacco back then was a part of everybody's life. Everybody smoked, you know, it wasn't just five, 10, 50, everybody smoked. So it becomes personal. Whether or not we intend it to be, it becomes personal. We feel that someone is encroaching on our way of life. Someone is encroaching on our beliefs or our background or what we consider to be our cultural heritage. And I think that's what, make change, that's what makes change very difficult sometimes. We're unable to reconcile that change is a good part of development and that cultures evolve for a reason. Our habits evolve for a reason. It's all because, you know, who we were 20, 30 years ago shouldn't be the same person that we are now. I don't think, I don't think anybody is the same person that they are now that they were 10, 15 years ago. I think we all fundamentally have this change, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's spiritual. I think we all have this change as we, as we develop. And that's a really important journey in life. And I think the more people that are able to incorporate not only their own personal change, but also dietary change and lifestyle change will reap tremendous benefits 5, 10, 15, 30 years down the road that they might have not even realized if they hadn't, haven't, hadn't started early. Yes. And it's never too late to start. So never yeah, too late to start. I mean, I, I know, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, even my patients that are their 60s, 70s, I'll say, hey, you know, you know, it sounds like you're struggling with some of these complications from chronic disease. Have you considered this? And some of them are pretty surprised. They never even thought of it. They never thought it was a possibility or something they should be doing. And obviously not everybody's going to be receptive to it. But man, I just want to know I tried. I just want to know I gave it my best shot. And, you know, and we'll see what happens from there. Yes. And everybody, yes, everybody give it your best shot no matter what. So definitely. Of course. So we got another comment, not to overgeneralize, but some of the athletes we see who look fit and are succumbing to disease like cardiac problems really are not healthy on the inside of their bodies. This is a great question, Deb. Thank you for asking it. Yeah, it's it's a great question, Deb. And, you know, I think it comes from a society that oftentimes prioritizes appearance, um, sometimes more than health. And that's not to say that there aren't plenty of people who are fit and uh, internally and externally, but we sometimes underestimate just how important having a healthy foundation is for ensuring health down the road, right? How we look now doesn't mean that, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we'll continue to be healthy. And I mean, I know, I know plenty of plant-based bodybuilders and none of them are starving for protein or look like they're about to end up in the hospital with protein deficiency, which you won't see a single person in the United States with protein deficiency because it's incredibly rare. You know, I'm talking about protein a little because society has come to equate the two. Protein is considered this, this holy grail that it's, this all giving, you know, nutrient, macronutrient that everybody should focus on and it'll change your life in all sorts of ways. But, you know, America eats the most protein of any country in the world. And we're unfortunately the health, I'm one of the unhealthiest. And if you look at the recommended daily allowance, you'd be surprised to see that for women, it's about 45 grams a day. And for men, it's 55 grams a day. Now, what if I was to tell you that we actually adjusted that by two standard deviations up? So that 45 and 55, isn't necessarily even the real recommended daily allowance. It's an adjustment just so we make sure we have all the protein we need. And when it comes to our health, right, there's all sorts of different types, right? When we talk about visceral versus subcutaneous fat. Now, not to get too medically, you know, I, I don't want to bore anybody, but essentially visceral fat is the one that surrounds our organs. It leads to all sorts of problems, including impairment of function. And one of the big ones, obviously, is insulin resistance, right? Where someone who is, uh, you know, not responding properly to insulin may start developing diabetes and have a number of complications down the road. The other type is subcutaneous fat. That might be a little more of the appearance. And there are people who have very little amount of subcutaneous fat and a good portion of visceral fat. And visceral fat has been it's correlated time and time again with poor health outcomes and morbidity and mortality, um, you know, of a number of populations, healthy and not. And that's why we need to emphasize eating diets that emphasize that that highlight what people are really deficient in. What are people really deficient in? They're deficient in fiber. Ninety-seven percent of Americans are deficient in fiber. They're not even getting close to what they should be getting. Why does fiber matter? Fiber matters for all sorts of things. Good gut health. It matters for mood and wellness. It matters for, you know, great bacteria. It matters for release of sugars into the system so that you have a nice, long, consistent burn. 
it has all these important functions and yet we barely highlight it. And so I think when we start having this change in the paradigm of how we eat, you can still be buff, you can still be muscular. You just can do it on a different foundation, one that'll probably last a lot longer than one maybe built on fats. Yes, and that, that makes so much sense. And I actually was at a, on Earth Day, our presenter was talking exactly about that. Like, it's not the protein, it's the fiber. And it made so much sense. So I love that you brought that up because that's a great point when people bring up the protein. Of like course. So many people are not getting the fiber. So, and, and, you know, we're trying to find all these ways. Again, we're trying to find these shortcuts to health, you know, packets of, you know, fiber that we swirl in the cup and drink down. And we think that solves our solution, you know, solves our problems. And, you know, we've realized when it comes to eating, eating is really the way to go. You know, <laughs> we can't get a lot of the nutrients that we want out of vitamins, supplementation. Obviously they have the role, and especially for some people, they may be more beneficial than not, but overwhelmingly the bioavailability of our nutrients, that means our body's ability to access these nutrients is greatly hampered when we don't eat our food. You got to eat your food. And that's what makes a difference. Eat those fruits and veggies, eat those plants. That's what will make a difference down the road when we talk about having the proper nutrients, having the proper building blocks. It's really about what you eat. There's no shortcuts to health, unfortunately. And as long as we'll be looking for them, you know, the easiest answer will be just got to change your diet a little. And I promise before you know it, it'll become second nature. It'll become that habit. So that motivation and will aren't a part of it anymore. And I know you can, you understand this, Marquita, because you've been doing this for, you know, a while as well. I mean, people ask me all the time, you know, doctors, patients, oh, you've been vegan for six years, has it been hard? I really don't think about it. I think a lot of us don't really think about our, our, our kind of the difference that we have in our diet. It's just, it's kind of just a part of our, of our daily routine now. We don't think twice about it. And I think that's a really big part of it as well is, being able to recognize that we take away the motivation or willpower component of it, which is important to get started and really turn into a habit, turn into a habit that we don't have to think about as much. That we don't have to consider as much every day and that'll make it all the easier. That'll make it all the easier. Exactly. Yeah. And I see something about keto and I will, before I show the question, I thought, I remember, I'll never forget meeting someone and she was telling me about keto and she told me how she ate lard and she said, yeah, I eat lard all the time. And it was very, very strange. It was very far, very hard for me to digest that comment. So let's look at the keto question um, from JJ. What is the best way to explain to those who are all, who are doing keto, adding more meat, how dangerous it is. I wish there was information out there to combat the low carb craze. Yeah, that's a great question, JJ. I will say keto diets are something that's really interesting to me. And what's interesting to me is when people really latch on to this concept that carbohydrates are the enemy. Um, carbohydrates are the building blocks of life. I mean, they're the stuff of life. Glucose is what our brains run on. Our body craves it. It desires it. It needs uh, carbohydrates to help us fuel and help us continue on. And you don't have to look far. And this is one of the things that medical literature overwhelmingly supports. If you look at, again, aggregate, the, the, the totality of data existing. Keto diets have a 30% higher risk of all-cause death over the period of six years. This means higher risks uh, and also higher risk of heart disease and cancer. I think, I think I read, if I'm not mistaken, that one of the studies found that heart disease increased by nearly 50%, risk of cancer increased by 35%. So people, again, remember, we, I talked about this a little earlier. We're so focused on the here and now that we kind of forget about investing in our health now, investing uh, in our future now so that we don't have to worry about these problems down the road because a lot of people kind of underestimate just how quickly those issues can come. They really do. And, you know, when we talk about meat versus, you know, plant-based, you know, you can do plant-based keto. Um, it's, I can't imagine how hard it is, but I know it's, I know it's worthwhile, particularly for those who have neurological conditions. That's one of the conditions that ketogenic diets have been found to have a tremendous benefit for people with things like seizures or migraine headaches and, and, and the like. But I'll say this, you know, when we look at solutions for diseases, we aren't applying those for everybody right? Because somebody's losing uh, weight on chemotherapy doesn't mean that everybody can lose weight on chemotherapy, right? There are, you know, obviously there are, there are specific things that we do to help those who may have a little of a different health status than others. But overwhelmingly, when we look at the diets that do the best, it's those that are plant-based, Mediterranean, and those that emphasize plants the more. 
Um, ketogenic diets overall are unsustainable. They're difficult for people to stick with. And the other thing that makes me feel really bad is that people feel guilty. People feel guilty that they're not on the bandwagon. They feel guilty that they failed the diet. And let me tell you, you didn't fail the diet. The diet failed you. And that's something that people have to realize is what they're getting started on was never going to work from the, from, from the beginning because you're fighting your own biology. You're fighting your own, your body's own desire to have carbohydrates as an essential fuel source to continue to build, grow, and, 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 and move on. This is one of the reasons why we get so, we're so concerned about diabetics being able to have sugar come into their cells. It's because we need it. It is a necessary part. We aren't telling diabetics, you know, oh, no, don't worry about, you know, the carbohydrates that you're eating. And no, no, we, we need to make sure that people are getting the sugars in, that they're resist, that they're sensitive to insulin. They're able to get that sugar in and it helps them do daily functions, walk around, help your heartbeat. Think about what you need to do for the day, right? Think about what, what turtleneck you need to wear for the day. You know, those are the important things that we sometimes forget about. We forget about that because it's really easy to fall in love with the fat. It's really easy to fall in love with the fat because it, it supports everything we want to know. It supports everything we believe in. It supports, you know, if I, if, if, if I can live a long life, I mean, heck, I was watching, um, I was learning about Jared from Subway. Uh, losing a ton of weight, which, you know, obviously a calorie deficit can have benefit. Calorie deficit can have benefits for a lot of people, uh, plant-based or not. And studies have shown the less calories you eat, particularly intermittent fasting, the better you tend to do. I'm not denying that, but it's not just about quantity. It's about quality. Studies have found differences between plant protein and animal protein. Studies have found differences between saturated fat and unsaturated fat. We found differences between processed carbohydrates versus whole carbohydrates. There is a difference in the quality of food we should be espousing to those that we love and ourselves. And once we appreciate that, things things will tend to do a lot better. All right. <laughs> I love your answer. This is great knowledge for us. I mean, definitely great knowledge for us to take with us to the conversation. So we got another question from Deb. And fiber is only obtained from plants, not meat, correct? Deb, that's a hundred percent right. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta eat that fiber, and that's what makes that's what makes fruits and veggies so magical. It's what separates fruits from processed sugar. They're the molecules are complex. They're they're you know if we look at some of these sugars that we find in fruit, the reason it's not the same as like a as a chocolate bar or a chocolate chip cookie that's been eyeing me from down the aisle at, at Kroger is because. It's really because that sugar is bonded to starch and starch is what helps it slow release, right? It helps it burn for longer. We talk about glycemic indexes all the time, low glycemic index and high glycemic index. The components of our food that are really important um, are sometimes difficult for us to appreciate because they get challenging. But I'll say this, when you're looking at the ingredients of a food and you're trying to decide whether or not it's healthy, let's look at bread, for example. You gotta at least get a four to one ratio. So for, for every four grams of carbohydrates, I want one gram of fiber depth. That is a really helpful way to ensure that you're getting a good amount of fiber and that the food that is being sold to you actually is as holistic or as complete as they say they are. I mean, you can slap a label on whole grain and it doesn't have to be whole grain. I, I promise you, just from a regulatory standpoint and a, an industry advocacy standpoint, there are all kinds of rules that would make you scratch your head about what's considered a healthy food and what isn't. But that four to one rule will help a lot. Um, and it'll help you find products that sometimes you're surprised about uh, being healthier than not. And some products you're like, you know, I thought this was better than it was. It really doesn't have the fiber I thought uh, a grain like this should, or a, you know, uh, dates for example should. So it's good to know. It's good to know and it'll help guide your decision-making at the grocery store next time. Yeah, that is very good to know because I never know with the breads either. I look at them and then they'll say enriched. And of course, then I know that's not one I want. But then I look at others and I don't know. Sometimes I look and sugar's the one of the top ingredients. It's like we can't get away from that sugar. So It's true. It's true. And and I think, you know, Marquita, one of the brands that I like a lot that I think uh, tends to be a little, unpro is a little unprocessed, but maybe a little on the expensive side is um, sprouted bread. So Ezekiel, Dave's Killer Bread. Both of those, I believe, um, are, are certain bread processes that ensures that the bacteria and the products that are in there are alive, which is good. It's kind of like it's kind of like fermented yogurt, for example, or in our case, fermented fermented food like tempeh, um, you know, tofu stuff like that. That's important to have those uh, those foods um, in your life because they promote good bacteria, and the fiber helps feed the bacteria. So, two quick things: prebiotics, probiotics. You hear that a lot. Probiotics are the bacteria themselves, what populates our gut. 
So people will say, you know, you got to take all these pills for probiotics. And, you know, I think the data is super limited. It's actually surprising just uh, how little real substantial data exists underlying the importance of probiotics. Evidence is mixed at best. And it's hard to recommend anybody something that's mixed at best. What may have a little more benefit is prebiotics. So what helps feed the bacteria that maybe encourage certain types to grow? So fiber is a big component, for example, of a prebiotic. So the more fiber you eat, the more it encourages a certain subset of gut bacteria. And I mean, we're still diving into the Pandora's box of gut bacteria, but it has all the benefit for mood, health, wellness, um, all sorts of things that we can't even begin to conceive. So that's an important distinction as well. Well, that's good to know. And I'm, I'm ha happily ate beans for lunch and beans for dinner <laughs> because I was in a rush, but that's good. I eat a lot of beans. That's so. good. And, and people, <laughs> who eat more, people who eat beans and nuts and seeds tend to do better. We, we know that. We know that definitely. So you can never eat too many beans. Um, just make sure, you, you know, your body is ready to receive said beans or your family members or friends might not be so happy with you that night. <laughs> Well, just my dog. I think he's all good. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dog doesn't mind. I know that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. So, and I'm glad you shared that about the <clears throat> sprouted bread. That's good knowledge. Of course. Um, of course. Definitely. So, we got another comment here from Miriam. I want to share a testimony. I was suffering from acid reflux. I started eating oatmeal every morning, and after three weeks, I no longer have acid reflux. That's that, that's great, Miriam. Obviously, I'd like to know a little more about what you're doing besides the oatmeal. Um, the oatmeal is great. I love oatmeal. I think it's one of those, remember, this, those low glycemic index foods that burn for a long time, and that can be really helpful for someone with acid reflux. There's all sorts of foods that can tr trigger acid reflux, and I'll be honest, I'm not an expert. Um, but as long as you stay away from those fatty and those greasy foods, especially late at night, you try to make sure that you're done eating at least four or five hours before you go to bed you'll hopefully continue to save off those acid reflux symptoms because I know them, they're, they're challenging. And, you know, I, I've had my own fair bout um, of acid reflux in recent years. So as long as you keep eating whole food plant-based and minimizing a lot of those oils and fatty foods, I, I think you'll continue to enjoy a, a life free of acid reflux. All right. And what are, can you give us just a few low glycemic foods? Yeah. You know, I think, I think the list is innumerable, but let's, you know, we talk about, our breads, you know, that's a great fun. Uh, fruits are excellent. All kinds of, of veggies as well. Um, grains, for example, brown rice is a low glycemic index food. Sweet potatoes. I mean, most fruits and veggies that you find in whole in whole form or at least whole form are low glycemic index food. What do I mean by the foods that are a little more high glycemic? You know, that tends to be the more processed foods that we tend to encounter. You know, white rice, for example, is processed. It's a processed version of brown rice where we strip away the rice uh, the rice is bran and the germ, if I'm not mistaken. I don't, I'm not a botanist, but I, I do remember that for the most part, there are certain components that are really important for our body's ability to obtain those critical nutrients. And in more processed foods, we tend to strip away those really good components. And that'll help food burn for a lot longer, give us all the essential nutrients we need, and overall make sure that it's important that we're eating a healthier life. And I'll say this, I'll say this, when we talk about eating healthier, it's not just about us talking about, oh, you know, like, I, I'd rather just not eat anything and eat this fruit or, you know, instead I have a Pop-Tart. It's about the opportunity cost. So for every Pop-Tart I'm not eating and I'm eating a fruit instead, I not only am not eating the bad parts of that Pop-Tart, but I'm also getting the good parts of the fruit, like the piece of apple or, you know, the, the pear or whatever, whatever it is, you know. It's not just about what you're abstaining from, but it's what you're, in, what you're putting in place of that. And that's why plant-based diets tend to do a lot better when we look at them in head-to-head -head studies is because we're replacing things that not only cause people harm, but we're replacing them with things that have benefit, antioxidants, phytonutrients, they have fiber, which, I, which I'll, I'll talk about to the end of time, even though I, not, I know it's not a sexy topic, I'll talk about fiber to the end of time. You know, they have all these components that are really essential for our bodies. And as long as you're replacing some of those kind of more artificial, more processed foods with foods that tend to have, you know, more whole components, you'll do better. You'll, you'll certainly do better. And obviously there are exceptions. I, I'll keep saying that there are exceptions because medicine's a field of caveats, much like economics, but it's really important to know that for the majority of people, the more plants you eat, the better off you'll be. Well, this is great information. And, and I don't know who, someone said, thank you for making it so easy for us. Let's see. Of course. Was, oh, it was Deb, Deb again. It was wonderful. So let's see. We're, yeah. We got it just a few more minutes and we have, let me show one more question here. Are fermented foods good prebiotics? 
Yeah, you know, it, it really depends. Um, you know, there's all kinds of fermented foods. I mean, kefir, which is a type of, uh, you know, which is a type of uh, yogurt, if I'm not mistaken. There's kimchi, there's miso, there's, you know, sauerkraut, there's yogurts that are probiotic, and flu, uh, in, in, you know, induced kombucha. I'll say this, I'll say this, you know, it's good to eat fermented foods. They're a really important part to have of your diet. But I don't want anybody's gut health to solely rely on, on a fermented food. I think as long as you incorporate different types into your diet, you'll do fine. But I don't want you to be hammering three, four bottles of kombucha a day thinking you're getting your probiotics in. You know, and I've and from what I've heard, too, there's even, you know, some some there's no real science that underlies, for example, the 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 health of kombucha. I think there are studies here and there, but nothing that you can definitively say this is changing people's lives in ways we didn't know. Obviously, you know, it's it's, it's a wonderful drink. I'm sure it's useful to have um, and it's a good source of probiotics. But as long as you mix it up, keep a lot of different things in your, your diet, that's that, that's important. And your gut health isn't influenced just by the bacteria, but it's influenced by what's feeding the bacteria. Remember, prebiotics versus probiotics. So that's, that, that's another big distinction as well that'll be helpful. But I mean, hey, take that sauerkraut, Take, you know, take, take the tempeh, take all the fermented foods you want. Um, try to try to make sure they're more plant-based than not. So you're getting away from some of those more inflammatory components of animal products and, and you'll do just fine. All right. Well, so we're coming up at the end. And so I want to make sure that you have <laughs> time to say everything that you need to tell us. So what else would you like us to know? And what should we remember from this conversation? Cause we got such a lot, we got a lot of great information here. Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I can't think of a witty quote off of my head from someone great, but I'll say I'll say that change really comes when we are united together uh, in a common goal. And it never happens on the large scale that you think it will happen. It starts in our communities. It starts in our neighborhoods, our schools, our city councils. That's really where change happens. And as long as we're able to embrace that notion and continue fighting the good fight, on as many fronts as we can, we're going to see progress. Um, and that's not just for nutrition, that's for any sort of advancement in equity or, uh, or growth. And we're able to kind of shun some of these, you know, more backwards notions. As long as we're united arm in arm and continuing to march forward, you know, progress will happen. So don't be discouraged. You know, don't, don't, you know, there'll be bad days, there'll be good days, but overall know that you're fighting the good fight and you're doing everything in your power to make sure that the people next to you have as good of a life as you're able to access and maybe even a better one. But yeah, that's great advice, definitely. So yes, we'll, we'll just take it day by day and celebrate each day moving forward, right? Yes. Well, and that's so, all you can do. That's all you, that's can, all do. you can do. That's right. Great. And so, Dr. Lucky, where can, where can people find you? Where they, if you have a YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, the, the, these are all things in the works, but um, I'm happy to have you all on Instagram. I tend to share some of my talks and tidbits and podcasts, as, you know, and, as well as my life as a young man in his late 20s. So I'd say at doctor.luckymd is how you can find me on Instagram. I'll have a website soon enough, but um, it's a great way to kind of connect with me. And I'd love, I, I encourage any collaboration or any 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 advice you guys have on continuing to spread this message, particularly in communities. And hopefully I can be as good of a resource as I appear to be. Well, thank you so much. This has been very informative. And I know that we've got a lot of people watching. Um, thanks, Miriam and Deb, for these great comments. And JJ, I, I really appreciate it. And, and we're going off <laughs> going off air with um, a lot of new knowledge to carry on our conversation in more eloquent, peaceful fashions. Not Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and everyone on the call, too, I'll say this. This call wasn't supposed to be like this. I had a nice little PowerPoint set up for you all. It's going to go through all these slides, but, you know, this, I think, is really, really how knowledge is spread. It's through conversation. And I think Marquita brought out some of the best parts of, of my knowledge base that I could have even anticipated. And because of that, obviously, I'm grateful to you and the whole organization. And uh, that's what it's about, to just keep talking and having these discussions. And we can see who we enlighten as we go on. Yes, keep, keep up the good conversations and keep celebrating everything y'all are doing. And because we're making a difference. We're making a change. So well, hold that thought for the rest of your life. We're making a yes. change slowly, a change. but surely. Yes, of course. 100% Rakita. All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Dr. Lucky. We'll have you on here again to check back with you in a year and see what's changed. If that's of course, good. my pleasure. Plenty to talk about always. All right. Thanks everybody. Namaste vegan, everybody.
Bye. Bye.